Today's episode of Legacy, The Immigrant Experience in America, is brought to you by The Undertakers, Rise of the Corpses, a novel by Ty Drago. This middle school novel is part of a five-book series that was recently identified by VideoWiki as one of the most inventive takes on the zombie genre. The Undertaker series takes us on the exploits of a ragtag army of teenagers who find themselves with a surprising ability to see zombie-like creatures walking amongst us, disguised as normal, everyday people. Hunted by these corpses, they flee their homes, determined to fight these zombies that only they know about. Called fast-paced and surprisingly moving by School Library Journal and thoughtful and exciting by Booklist, Rise of the Corpses is being turned into a feature film. You can find it on Amazon or, for a copy signed by the author, check out tydrago.com. Welcome back to Legacy, the Immigrant Experience in America. I'm Helena Drago. On today's episode, my husband Ty Drago and I are talking to Pollyanna McIntosh, an immigrant from Scotland, who also happens to be a writer, director, and actor. You might know Pollyanna for her starring role in the film The Woman, for which she was nominated for Best Actress at the Fangora Chainsaw Awards. The Woman premiered to great acclaim and some controversy at Sundance in 2011. But fans of AMC's The Walking Dead will best know Pollyanna McIntosh as Jadis, a.k.a. Anne, that oddly spoken and enigmatic leader of the scavengers. Last season, Anne, or is it Jadis, carried away Rick Grimes, the hero of The Walking Dead, and whisked him away in a helicopter to an unknown destination. Rumor has it that those two character storylines will continue when the first Walking Dead movie explores the aftermath of the pair's disappearance. Pollyanna has also recently debuted as a scriptwriter and director in the social issue horror film, Darling, recently released in July 2019. Darling is a sequel to the Woman's Trilogy, and along with Pollyanna, also stars Brian Batt, Nora Jane Noon, Cooper Andrews, and Lauren Canney. Pollyanna is also on the board of the Joshua Nolan Foundation, a suicide prevention charity based in our home country of Scotland. To learn more about Pollyanna, check out her Instagram or Twitter at Pollyanna McIntosh. But with all that said, we are not talking to Pollyanna today for her roles that she played in the movies or on television. Today, she is Pollyanna, an immigrant from Scotland. Ty and I recently talked to her about her path as an immigrant in this country. Here's Pollyanna. I was born in Helensburgh in the north of Scotland, near Loch Lomond, and it's the Highlands. When I was two years old, we moved to Portugal until I was about four and a half years old, and then we moved to Edinburgh just for a summer. And then when I was five, we moved to South America, uh, to Colombia, until I was nine years old. And then we moved back to Edinburgh, and then I grew up in Edinburgh till from nine to 16, and then started my independent life and moved away to all the other places that I lived. But I grew up with my sister, who's a couple of years older than me, so we were always together. And I was always learning new languages wherever we were. And I'd say Scotland is a very musical, soulful country. It's also a country with that very British sensibility about keeping within your, you know, in your station. And it's a very strong class system. And I think that kind of affects everything, really, still even. But, you know, I was an adventurous, happy, chubby little kid with very blonde hair who would run around doing anything that anyone dared me to do. <laughs> So I had lots of fun. 
Yeah, I like being a kid. Do you have any strong memories about the country, like a favorite memory or a difficult memory? I have memories from very young, but I'd say if there's a cultural one, I'd say it was going to the museum in Edinburgh in Scotland, the Chamber Street Museum with my grandmother, my nana, who was from America, and going and drawing pictures of the stuffed animals in this big old dusty museum, which was just full of treasures and finding that very exciting to be very safe and with family but also to be exploring this world full of giant you know blue whale hanging from the ceiling in one room and then an elk in another and it was just magic life felt very vast in a place like that you know even though edinburgh is considered quite parochial things like that really made me feel the world at large you know but it sounds like you've really traveled uh, around a lot as a child, and you're uh, kind of more international than, uh, you know, it's not just Scotland, it's Portugal. South America. South America. Yeah, and then I moved to London when I was 16, and, you know, it, it all feels very natural now, this actor's life of being in all sorts of different countries and traveling around. Plus, I was a model when I was younger as well, so I traveled loads for that. I think probably moving around so much when I was a kid was probably very useful to me, especially in my chosen profession. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a real benefit to a child that they are an outsider in other countries and other cultures so that other cultures don't seem like the other to them so much as, you know, as, as if they hadn't experienced that feeling. And I think that's really good for a kid, you know, good for the growth. But yeah, it's funny for all that travel, even from being very young, I still feel very Scottish. You know, I still have great pride in my country and my culture and the humor there and I still feel very much like that tomboy riding my bike in Edinburgh. I suppose Scotland has a sort of underdog feeling about it too but then like a really scrappy one. <laughs> what do you mean an underdog feeling? We're the little poorer country above the big country with government in it with the Queen and the, the guards and Paddington Bear and Mary Poppins. We're the slightly scrappier country out of the two, but I think that's also a massive source of our pride because we wouldn't want to be wearing suits and playing fancy, you know. We're earthy and <laughs> proud people. I've never been to Scotland. I know Helena has, but I've never been there. But I have this image in my head, uh, I guess from books and movies, of um, these proud, uh, rough mm -hmm. rebels, basically. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I love those big, strong, fishwifey type Scottish women who are just hilarious and gallus and, and have raised, you know, six children and will tell you off, you know, if need be, and will sort of take any man by the ear. And that, of course, is, is a stereotype, but like those women do exist and they are like quite a thing to behold. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, how old were you when you finally made the decision to come to the U.S.? And what was the circumstances? Well, the first time I ever came as a tourist, I was 12 years old, and my sister and I, my sister Tilly, who, like I say, is a couple of years older, we got to travel as unaccompanied minors, as ums, on our own to go and see our cousins in the States, because as I say, my nana was American, and so her brother's uh, grandchildren, we were going over to hang out with and visit, and that was amazing. And it, I mean, America's got the most reach of popular culture of any nation, I think. And so it's quite glamorous America to you when you're young. You know, it's it's big and shiny and brightly colored and exciting and, and over the top and maybe a bit sexy. So coming here was like really cool then. So went to Washington, saw the sites and the Lincoln Memorial. And then we went to the beach and had a watermelon fight. My mum had said, be very good in front of your cousins. They're very posh. And the first thing we did when we got to their beach house in um, Chesapeake Bay was to have a watermelon seed spitting fight. And it was brilliant. 
<laughs> I was like, <laughs> and then the first time I came, like as a grown up, was a very different experience. I came, probably would have been coming to New York or Miami with a modeling job, and it was all about business. And New York was like it was in the movies. So I remember my first time in New York, and I remember getting there and going, whoa, I, nobody will do anything for you here because they don't hear you, you know? Trying to hail a cab, trying to ask for change, trying to do any of those things. This polite British girl, like, I was being completely roundly ignored, and I was in New York utterly alone. I mean, I knew nobody. And then I finally figured it out that you just had to be like a New Yorker, and then they would, it would all be fine. I just got much bolder. And I think I've been grateful ever since for the sort of incremental growth in that side of Americanness that I've experienced, where I can ask for what I want a little clearer and a little more confidently than perhaps we're encouraged to where I come from, which I, which I like about America. So how long have you been living in the United States now? Are you, are you a full-time resident? Yeah, I am now. I So I, I would come for these jobs, you know. I would come to do jobs in Miami for about 10 days or I'd come to New York and work for a while um, as a model years and years ago. And then met a, an American man on a fashion shoot and fell for him. And then, then I ended up moving to L.A. Um, and we ended up getting married. And after we got divorced, I still wanted to be there because I built so much work in L.A., put down so much uh, in the way of acting at that point. And that was like 2002 when I moved here properly. And I still live in L.A. I feel quite settled here now. I finally bought my first home and, uh, and just got engaged. So, you know, here I am. Congratulations. What was your immigration process like coming into the United States? How difficult or easy was it to, well, to it's come? Well, a good question. Yeah. When I was coming here for modeling jobs back when I was quite young, I was always given the scare that the people, when I was trying to get in the country, were going to send me home because I was working. But the thing is, I was always working for the Brits or for the Germans in the States. So it wasn't like I was coming and taking Americans' money in the government size. I was doing a job on location. So it was actually fine. But every time I'd come through, I'd be terrified. But we were all just so young. We didn't know anything. And nobody much helps you in the modeling business, you know, to just sort of send you out there into the wild. So did um, they set up your visas, the work visas? No, no, there was no visas. There was just you could be in for 90 days as a, as a tourist. So, you know, you were fine. And I remember one time coming in to Miami and one of the guys going through my suitcase and just basically being a big old lechy flirt, you know, commenting on my CD collection and my snakeskin boots and things, which were not real snakeskin, obviously. And I just thought, oh, you have so much power. You know, it was, it was really creepy. But I thought, well, I'm here legally. I'm fine. But it was still uncomfortable and scary. But then once I was here working, modeling here for American companies, I got an H1 visa. And that was pretty simple because the good thing about being a model is you can prove that no one else could do your job because only one person looks like you unless you have an identical twin who happens to be American. And I'd worked a lot, so I was fine and I had an agency sponsoring me. But, you know, it's a lot of paperwork and it does cost money. But it, I wasn't fleeing anything. I was just coming here to work. And so for me, it was a pretty simple steps one, two and three kind of process. Not too much drama. Pollyanna's story actually ties back to an interview we did some weeks ago. Remember Mayank? We spoke with him back in episode two. He's the gentleman from India who was in the U.S. on the H-1B visa. Remember how I joked about the fact that on the State Department's website, the visa's official definition specifically cites fashion models as one of its key classes of immigrants? Well, folks, in Pollyanna's story, we see that in action. 
Pollyanna's first U.S. visa was an H-1B, and she received it because she was a fashion model. But it's interesting to note that until she started modeling directly for U.S. companies, she didn't require any visa at all. Instead, as she pointed out, she would simply travel to the U.S. as a visa-less tourist and remain here for up to 90 days. She was able to do this because the UK is a designated country in the U.S. Visa Waiver Program. It's a program that, as of this year, applies to just 38 of the world's 195 nations. So far, Pollyanna is the first immigrant we've spoken to who actually hails from one of those 38 countries. I remember the interview about whether you were a terrorist or not, and I thought, well, who would ever say, oh, yeah, you call me, governor. <laughs> they sat you down and asked you if you were a terrorist? Oh, yeah, that's one of the questions they ask you. Do you intend to, you know, come here terrorizing? But like, if you were, you'd say, oh, yeah. yeah. You're a terrorist, but you're not a liar. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so there was not much drama in that department, but, you know, it was just a process and you were waiting. I knew how precious it was that I had a, a model agency that would sponsor me. That was a big deal to have. So I felt, I felt pretty lucky, really. And then when I fell in love and got married, you know, I got my green card. But it wasn't until we were breaking up, I thought, oh, shit, hang on. I should get my citizenship before we do this, because otherwise I'd be waiting another couple of years to do it on my green card. And I hadn't really thought it was important, but a friend of mine was in a similar situation, and, I, and she was doing it, and I thought, well, that would be smart. So I went along and did the whole citizenship stuff. And I remember wearing my wedding ring and engagement ring at a point where I probably wouldn't have been wearing them otherwise. And then the guy said, which name do you want on your passport? When I, you know, got through everything. And I, for the first time, used like a hyphenated my last name and my ex-husband's last name, which I'd never used before and never would have done had I not just wanted so much to make sure that nothing went wrong. And now I have his bloody name on my passport still. It's really annoying. <laughs> It's up for renewal soon, so I'm relieved. Was there any difficulty in becoming a U.S. citizen, or was it pretty smooth sailing? It was pretty smooth sailing, but the attitude of the guy in the room, I have to say, was very, it was very much like a security guard watching you as if you might be nicking something. It was that kind of vibe, you know? The whole thing made me quite nervous. Because even though I had every legal standing, I was planning on, you know, not being married quite soon after. It turned out to be a couple of years because we just didn't bother with it. But I knew that, you know, we weren't together together. You know what I mean? Right. And what year did you become a citizen? It was, I don't know. I don't know. How would I find out? I suppose on my passport. Well, if it was, well, if my passport's about to expire in 10 years, I suppose it's it's a 10-year passport that you get, right? Yep. So 10 years ago. 10 years ago. Okay. You've been a citizen for a while then. Yes, I have for an actual decade. You know, I felt kind of awkward because I was in that big room with all those people becoming citizens. And some of them I could tell, mostly Latino, I could tell like it meant a hell of a lot to them. And they'd worked very hard for this. And they were going to have to work just as hard to survive here. Because they were harder working people than I was by the looks of them, you know. And I felt a little bit like, I don't know, I felt a little bit like, um, well, what's the word for it? I suppose I just felt a little bit like a, a faker, you know. I found the whole, like, American flag, eagle soaring, country music video playing during swearing-in ceremony just a little bit embarrassing, honestly. And here were all these other people who, you know, it, it probably meant their livelihood and their life for their family, and they were so happy to be there. For me, it was more of a formality you know, to ensure that, that I had standing here. And I knew I'd be paying all my taxes and doing all the right things as a, as a citizen, so I didn't feel I shouldn't be here. But I just didn't feel as in a glow as I felt a lot of those people did, you know. 
I suppose I felt sort of like privileged guilt is what I felt, actually. That's what I felt. Yeah. That's very poignant. Since coming to America, have you had good or bad experiences with Americans who uh, some concerns about your accent or some concerns about your immigration status? Oh, I'm a lucky bastard because, you know, I have this British accent and you all love it. (laughs) We do love a British accent. I don't know what it is. Just so lucky. I didn't even have to learn another language and I'm exotic. It's great fun. And you all enjoy me swearing, which is kind of fun or cursing, as you'd say. The only time I really get shit is because I have some, you know, some folks know who I am because of my work. If I talk about politics on social media, they often try and call me out for being not even being an American, which I think is ridiculous, as if anyone's conscience shouldn't be able to speak about politics in this country at the moment. Plus, I am an American, and you only need to use Google to find that out. Right. My dad thinks I should stand up to these people and tell them about how my great-great-grandfather fought for their independence, you know, from Britain, and was Commodore Bainbridge of the Bold Ironsides and all this really American history that he knows about in our family. And yeah, and my great-great-something else being Sister Ohio and having met Lincoln, and that Lincoln would be appalled by this attitude and all this stuff. And I love my dad, and he has a great mind, and he has great family history in him but I always think if you start arguing about who's more American you're really missing the point and I'm not about to start facing off with people about my right to be here because I think that's playing their game frankly. You know there's a saying going around lately that everyone in this country is either a Native American or the children of immigrants or the children of slaves. Yeah. Those are pretty much the three categories. And it's a great thing to ruminate on and to think you know about the truth in that but again that's not the point. It's not about how American you are or like that we're, oh, I don't know. I wish I wish I had the brain power right now to put it into succinct terms. But I think that one of the problems with all of this fighting is about refusing to show weakness. And it's all about rights and who's right and who gets to be this and gets to be that. And, and I think it's just all heading in away from the direction of just empathy and understanding and a little bit of calm and a little bit of civility, you know, because... One of the problems I have with the culture here, and we all have problems with elements of culture in, in every nation, but one of the things that stands out for me, especially over a lot of the recent issues that have been coming up, that have been so incendiary, is that the weakness seems to be a real fear point in the American culture. And I think that it is the opposite of being weak to say, I don't know, I'm not sure, I could be wrong, and that I'm scared. You know, and I think that's what's missing in a lot of this rhetoric. Hmm. So, but yes, America is absolutely a nation of immigrants. And I've been looking through the, you know, on Ancestry.com about my grandmother when she came over. She lived in a household in New York with Irish folks and Italian folks. You know, her family originally came over on the Mayflower. So, you know, she doesn't hearken back to American Americans. That's the Native Americans. So I come from a long line of immigrants and proudly. And I think that this country being like the cool stuff that was that was sent over to my country, for instance, and, you know, influenced my childhood. Like Elvis, you know, his music. I'm not saying I was around when Elvis was first around, but you know what I mean? All the big, bright American things. I mean, the blues and how it stretched through and where that comes from and music and dance especially. It's what America makes so much of its sort of cultural cachet off of. This idea of this sort of white America is just, it's its ugly, it turns out. Uh, ugly is a good word for it. It really is. So having all, said all of that, do you yeah, have any regrets? Um, do I have any regrets? Related to your immigration. That I, that I, that I put my ex-husband's last name on my passport. 
Yeah, but I that maybe that I didn't enjoy my own moment in that room with those folks instead of putting myself, you know, kind of Britishly uncomfortable within it. I mean, that video was still stupid. It's corny. Corny, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah, fair enough. Not stupid. It was just it was corny and it was a bit like it didn't feel truly heartfelt. You know what I mean? It felt a bit like propaganda. All right, we have one last question for you. Legacy is defined as a gift or a bequest that's handed down or endowed from one person to another. Given that, what legacy do you wish to pass down to your children, to society, to whatever? Uh, I hope it will be one of kindness and seeing the greys amongst the black and white. And I hope that that humor would be one of them. I take great pride in making people laugh because then we're all together, you know. So those, those things. Each year, between 700,000 and 750,000 men, women, and children are naturalized. In other words, they are declared to be U.S. citizens at one of the hundreds of citizenship ceremonies that are held all around the country every month. These ceremonies vary a lot depending on where they take place. Often there are speeches, sometimes plenty of them. And who doesn't love speeches? Other times there are videos, and yes, some of the videos can rightly be called corny. Often there are both. These ceremonies can take anywhere from 30 minutes to, well, hours, again, depending on where they take place. Honestly, though, if you put the pomp and circumstance aside, the only thing in each of these ceremonies that really matters is the Oath of Allegiance. The oath, among other things, requires the taker to abandon loyalty to, quote, any foreign prince, potentate, state, or sovereignty, and to swear to defend the Constitution of the United States by bearing arms if necessary. Once this oath has been officially taken, then that's it. You're a citizen. For some folks, it's a moment they've waited years for, having filled out miles of paperwork, spent thousands of dollars, and suffered through repeated delays and frustrating bureaucracy to get there. Is it any wonder, then, that when the moment does finally come, they take it very seriously indeed? Perhaps more seriously than born citizens like myself can truly appreciate. It's easy to take for granted what you've always had. It's quite a different thing to earn it. I find myself thinking about Pollyanna's poignant description of that day, ten years ago when she took her own Oath of Allegiance. There she was with many other green card holders like herself, mostly Latino, who had, her words now, worked very hard for this and would have to work just as hard to survive here. And while Pollyanna is certainly no faker, she's a talented artist who works very hard in her own right. She's nevertheless savvy enough to grasp that, in this country, not all immigrants are created equal. We'd like to sincerely thank Pollyanna McIntosh for speaking with us. Be sure to check out her new film, Darlin', which she wrote, directed, and stars in. And don't miss her on The Walking Dead. And as always, thanks for listening. Legacy, the Immigrant Experience is written and produced by Ty and Helena Drago. The music you're listening to is called Waterfall by Akash Gandhi, found on YouTube's free library.